We continue with our discussion of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. So the um, central section of the Rosh Hashanah prayer, in the Musaf service, there are three, 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 three blessings. And each blessing is, of course, a uh, basic theme of the service. They are known as Malchiot, that's the blessing of kingship. Sichronot, remembrances, and Shofarot, the Shofar. <coughs> I wanted to, we started last week with the Malchiot blessing, and um, I wanted to actually, particularly the blessing of, it's found in the third, which is not actually Malchiot, Malchiot's in the central section, but in the third blessing of the Shemona Esrei, in all of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, and even Yom Kippur, there's an addition to the standard text of this prayer, and that is the several paragraphs, which begin with, so let's see, what that appears, let's say in the morning service, in this machzer, it's on page, uh, let's find this, this would be on page 385, 385 sounds right, let's see, 385 is correct, 385, yeah, 385, didn't want to say one additional word about which is recited all of the services of Rosh Hashanah, and it's also recited Yom Kippur, and I believe in some of the Edot uh, Mizrach, the Sephardic uh, traditions, it's recited, um, it's recited all through the ten days of, re- of repentance, so Erev Yom Kippur, I remember it being recited, in any event, so I wanted to say something about well, I want to say something about the uh, about the first three blessings of the Shmona Esrei. So the the first three blessings of the Shmona Esrei. We begin the Shmona Esrei with a description of God. Actually, two two different descriptions of God. But one of them are three words that are found in the Book of Devarim. Ha'el, ha'gadol, ha'gibar, v'hanora. Gadol, gibar, v'nora. God is great, big, powerful, and awesome. Nora. Those are the three descriptions of God. It's a verse, actually, in the book of Deuteronomy. So the poets, the Paitanim, those, give, we have a whole tradition of Paitanim, and the main Paitanim all are in the land of Israel very early on, 1,500 years ago, maybe even before that. And they understood that Godol, Gibar, Venora, those three words refer to the first, the second, and the third blessings of the Shemona Esrei. Godol, they understood to refer primarily to Avraham. Because the classical service begins, Elohei Avotenu, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their understanding was that each of the first three blessings, the first one is primarily Abraham, the second is primarily Isaac, and the third is primarily Jacob. That itself is fascinating in its own right. And on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we have a lot of extra prayers, extra poems that were added into the service. And if you you look at it, you'll see that typically the first blessing, the poems that are added are Abraham about Abraham. Sometimes Sarah gets included there too. 
The second one is actually Isaac, occasionally Rebecca. And the third one is Jacob, and sometimes his wives as well. Let me see now, in the first day of Rosh Hashanah, let me see, since we have a machzab with us here, uh, let's see. So the repetition, the repetition of the Shon Asri begins on page 399. 399, then on page 401, the Chazan asks permission to pray. We talked about this uh, last time. Um, and then the blessings begin. Uh, So, for example, on page 403, there's a poem that's added into the first blessing. The trembling comes on this day of judgment. And if you read on, you'll see that there, Terem Kol Mif, I'll read the English. As memory of Abraham's cry, shall the judge of all not act justly? May the worthiness of his pleas be recalled in our judgment. Before God fashioned any creature, God had planned in God's mind to create Abraham, the rock from which Israel was to be quarried. He was as worthy as Adam and placed among generations, so that God might heap upon him the burden of the entire quarry. It was on this day, that's the Medrash, on Rosh Hashanah, that his destined partner, was given an abundance of strength. The fruit of her womb began to blossom at age 90. This is Sarah. And this was taken as a sign for our people, likened to a rose, who would pass before God with favor on Rosh Hashanah. Then we, we, in other words, right away, in the first blessing, you see straight out, that in the first blessing, it's Abraham, and here it's Sarah as well. It's also Sarah. Now the reason Sarah is mentioned, specifically, I think, here, as well as Abraham, is because, and this is actually a very interesting point, that the, what the Paitanim did, among many other things, was they included in the service, and became very central to their prayers, the uh, Torah readings of the day. So the Torah reading of the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Vashem Pokad et, et, et Sarah. So they would weave into the, their service <coughs> readings and, from the Torah and sometimes from the Haftorah as well. In fact, if you went to the synagogue then, you actually never knew what, what you're going to hear because it was different every single week. It wasn't like today you go to shul, you sort of know what's going to happen, you know. But in those days, when you went to the synagogue, you had no idea what, what the service is going to be because the poets would have something different all the, all, all the time. You see, but you, by, by point, you see here on page 400, 300, 403, straight out, without getting to the details, which are very interesting, but you see right out that in the first blessing, it's typically about Abraham. And that's the word gadol. Because afterwards, when God speaks to Abraham, in the beginning of chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I'll make you a big nation. I'll make your name big. So the word gadol is typically associated with Abraham, sometimes with Abraham's wife, etc., so that's what the poets, they added into the first blessing, Abraham. The second one is Isaac. Gibar is Isaac. Even though the word Gibar does not appear in the Torah specifically with Isaac, 
But the idea of Isaac as being a gibar is something very central in many midrashim. <laughs> and uh, when, he, when he's in the land of the Philistines, they say, leave, you'll become too, too powerful for us. So, so you have Isaac, and the second blessing is the, the, the second blessing is about resurrection. So it's very appropriate. Isaac is, in a sense, resurrected. He was destined to die, to be the binding of Isaac, but he survived. From a psychological state, he's resurrected for sure. That's the second blessing. Now, what is the third blessing of the Shemona Esrei? So the third blessing is a little blessing, The poets associate that with Jacob. Now, the word that's associated with Jacob would be the word Norah. The word Norah does not appear in the text, in the standard text. Of course, the word Kadosh is often associated with the word Norah. But on Rosh Hashanah, this third blessing becomes greatly expanded. The poems on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, 90% of them, are found in this blessing. Atah Kadosh v'Shimcha Kadosh. That is the blessing in which we are reciting, And there it's very interesting. This becomes a part of the standard text of Rosh Hashanah. And if we look now at the text on page 385, we notice, God, your fear, your ema, and your pachad should be upon all that you have created. All of, all of creation should join together in an undivided way to do your bidding. We know strength is in your hand, might in your right hand. So here, your name is Nora. So here, in the expansion of the third blessing, Shimcha Nora, right? Your name is Nora. And not only in the beginning, but you get to the end. The last paragraph, Kodosh Shemecha. There you have it explicitly. You are Kodosh, and you are Nora. So in the expansion of the third blessing, in, in which many, many poems are typically recited, there it begins with Nora, and it ends with Nora. And Nora, of course, is the third word, Gadol Gibar V'norah, and the third blessing is identified, of course, with Jacob, and for the simple reason, because the word Norah does appear with Jacob, actually, not in the text of the blessing. It's when Jacob runs away from home, and he goes to sleep in the holiest place, and he has a dream, he sees the angels ascending and descending the staircase, and Jacob wakes up and he says, Man Norah How awesome is this place! He saw the angels going up and down. He says, surely that is God's, must be God's temple. They're going up to God's temple. And Jacob says, if you give me the abilities, I will build you God's house here on earth. I will, I will build the earthly Jerusalem, which is exactly below the heavenly Jerusalem. To the heavenly Jerusalem, the angels are ascending and descending. And Jacob says, I will imitate what the angels do. They serve in the, up, in the upper spheres. I will serve you in the lower spheres. And of course, that's this idea of the upper spheres and the lower spheres, that of course is the Kedusha, which we recite always in this blessing. It's always recited in the third blessing. And in my opinion, 
That's part of the, and that's just my opinion, it's part of what the word Tzvaot means. God is Tzvaot, the God of hosts. Hosts are collections of beings. Right? Tzva Shamayim. We talk about the hosts of heaven, but we also talk about the earthly hosts. When Israel was leaving Egypt, on this night, says the Torah, Yatsu Kobane Israel Meyeretz Mitzrayim Al Tzivotam. In groups. We, we didn't leave actually as disparate people. We left Egypt as one people. That was the whole point of, of Moshe saying to Pharaoh, we have to serve God together. So there's the heavenly host, there's the earthly host that lies behind Kedusha, and it's very interesting that the word Svaot has another meaning as well, which is the word Svaot, a Tzava is an army. So the word Tzava, Tzvaot, refers often in the Bible, especially in Yeshayahu, to God as king. Because the king's the king has two roles in the in the in the in the Bible in the book of Samuel two two responsibilities, one is to lead the people in war, milchamtenu, and the other is shvatanu malkenu, to be a judge. The judge is doing tzedakah or mishpat. So the end of the blessing of v'chentein pachtecha, kadosh atav mecha. You are holy and you are no ra. There's no other like you. As it is written, Kakotuv, and we cite a verse, the verse is from Isaiah. That the, the Lord is raised high by Mishpat, in, ju- in judgment. God is a judge. Mishpat. And God is, God is seen as holy, so you have at the end of the blessing, which of course is what the king is supposed to do. So the word Tzvaot carries with it two meanings. One is the, the general, the commander of armies, runs the world in that way. And the other is Tzedakah Mishpat, which is, and I pointed out last time, that the, that the name of God, of course, to which God do we pray? God has many faces, God has many appearances in, in reality. But what's interesting is that the God to whom we pray in general, the lead into the service, right? How do we how do we lead into our prayer to our Amida every single day in the morning? We with two verses. One is Hashem Yimrochu Yolam Vaed, Vinambar. By the way, the the Yedot Mizrach don't say Tzu Yisrael Kuba Be Yisrael Yisrael. They don't say that. They eliminate that. I mean, they they don't eliminate it. We we added it. They don't say it because it's a it's a it's a request. Arise, and they don't say that, it's not, not appropriate. They also don't say, Or Chadash al Tzion Ta'ir. They don't make those requests. They have what, like this Hashem Yimrochu Yolam Va'ed Vinemar. There's another verse. What's the other verse? Gawaleinu Hashem Tzvaot Shemo Kadosh Yisrael. So they, that's a verse, I believe, from Yirmiyahu. I think it's from Yirmiyahu. Gawaleinu Hashem Tzvaot Shemo. Who is this Redeemer? Gaul Yisrael. Who is the Redeemer? What's the name of the Redeemer? Before we pray, Hashem Tzvaot. So you enter into the service, the God to whom we speak, it's not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but Hashem Tzvaot. That's in general. But on Rosh Hashanah, it's highlighted. Because in the third blessing, right, we say, no, who is this God who is Kadosh Venorah? Vayigba Hashem Tzvaot Bamishpat. So the God to whom we pray on Rosh Hashanah, because it's the day of God's kingship, is God the King? The name of God the King is Hashem Tzvaot. Yes. 
Uh, Rabbi Silver, I realize this may be tangential, but <coughs> you said that the Edot Mizrach don't use this terminology um, about demanding of God. What was the phrase? Requesting. They Requesting. don't make that request the in these blessings. No, they demand plenty, but they don't. <laughs> in the blessings of the Shema, they take out Or Chodash Al Tzion Ta'ir in the first blessing. Right. And they take out Tzu Yisrael Kumo B'Yisrat Yisrael Uftechnu Mecha Yudah B'Yisrael. They take that out. That's what you refer to. But in the Amida, it's all Shema Koleinu. Of course. And so you have, there are a lot of demands. So why is the demand taken out with Kum? Because, no. because the Shemona Esrei is all about requests. That's called prayer. The blessings of the Shema are not prayer. The blessings of the Shema, the Shema is not a prayer. It's a prayer only in the sense of any communication with God is prayer. Prayer is requesting, basically. Prayer is about, the Shema is, a, is essentially an exercise in the study of Torah. That's what Shema is. And the blessings on the study of Torah are about God, about the way God runs the world, <laughs> God the creator. But the Edot Mizrach essentially took out these requests. Or Chodash al Tzion Ta'ir, it's a very beautiful prayer, they don't say it, because they feel it's not appropriate for that part of the service. I got it. But of course, it's, we stand before God, we have all kinds of needs. That we, we put our needs before God. I mean, part of this idea of the Amida is to figure out what, in fact, we do need. That's another conversation, but that's very important. What do we really need? Not what we think we need or want, but what do we really need? So that's what the uh, Shemot Esri is about. In any event, my point is that this Uvechein Tein Pachtecha, is an expansion, as it were, of the third blessing, it really underscores what the third blessing is about. The poets understood it. And by the way, if you take a look on the, um, on the, how, uh, the uh, repetition of the Shemona Esrei, let's say, on the first day, so the first we saw Abraham is there, let's see. And what about the third Let's see. What about Yaakov? Yeah. 409. 409 about Yaakov. Let's see. Where are you, Yaakov? 409. Right. So here, it's very interesting, actually. I mean, let me say the following. Nobody should take this personally, because it's not about anybody here. It's in general. Most people who read these things have no idea what they're saying. The, the, the extras to Rosh Hashanah. And by the way, they're very difficult. Unless you study them, it's virtually impossible to understand them. So there's two options. Either read it without understanding or study them. That's the two, only two options. But what's interesting is, it's amazing actually, 409, who is the subject of 409? What we add into, who is the subject? It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So we saw Abraham and a little bit of Sarah. But who is the main subject of, in this one, in this blessing? No. It's about Rachel. It's almost totally about Rachel, actually. Tears. Tears. Rachel's the haftar of the second day is Rachel. Rachel Mavaka Abonel. But here, it's all about Rachel. And, it, it's, it, and it's incredible. It brings in all kinds of midrashim about Rachel. It weaves the medrash into the, into, 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 the, in, into the prayers. As I said, if you went to the synagogue, and Eliezer Kalia was your local chazan or whatever, you have no idea what you're going to hear. Every Shabbos was different, every Yantav was different, you want a million things, and you never know what you're going to hear. So it's actually very interesting. Now, how they understood what he wrote, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea, because it's very difficult. But over here, right, he has all kinds of Midrashim. 
He has one medrash that Esav uh, saw that she had not given birth. He wanted to take her as his wife. She prays to God. She doesn't want to get involved with Esav. God recalled the righteousness of her ways in the middle of 408. When God changes the child in her sister's womb from a boy to a girl. That's a medrash. That Leah is expecting a boy and, and God changes it to the davening. It's all about Rachel, actually. So Abraham, in other words, you see that the, the, the freedom these people feel they have. This is Kaliyah. They have total freedom with the text. And in fact, most of the academics today who study this believe this wasn't just inserted into the davening. It actually replaced it. That, that, that's extreme, you know what I mean? So you see the absolute freedom. Nowadays you change one word, there's a big fuss. They're changing the davening every week. It's never, never the same. So there were parts of the Amidah that they just put aside. And replaced. They, they, they replaced yeah. with this. With this. They added wow. the renewable text. That's what some people think. Yeah. Whether they, even if they added to it, but the additions are so many yeah. and so different, that's a, right. it's a different, you go to the synagogue, you, Shabbos, you don't know what you're going to hear. You have no idea. You know they're going to weave in the Torah reading. They're going to weave in the Haftorah. You have no idea. Were they it's interesting. Mostly literate at that point? I have no idea. Even if you are literate, we're literate. Try to understand this. You've got to study it. I mean, it's not. In any event, I wanted to add that to the Uvechain Tain It's very beautiful. Okay, anyway. Now, let's get to our. Let's continue. So, this is. That's the third blessing. But our practice is to say Malchiot in the fourth blessing. Malchiot is the fourth blessing. And Zichronot is the fifth, and the sixth one is Shofar. So I wanted just to look briefly at Malchiot, and then we'll take a look at Zichronot. So in this, uh, let's see, in this, let's see, in this Machzer, it's on page, let's find the pages. Uh, let's see. Let's find it in the, in the silent Shemona Esrei. Here it is. It's on page... Where is this thing? One second. It's in Musaf. Let's we've got to find Musaf. Let's find Musaf the first day. Musaf, where are you? Page even five. Here it is. I got it. Five hundred starts at five. Fifteen, starts five fifteen. But Malchiot is on page. Oh, Elenu actually is the introduction. It's Elenu was not Malchiot. Malchiot begins in the second paragraph of Elenu. Page 527. 527. Alkein nekavu Hashem is where Malchiot begins. Because even though you say Oleinu l'shabeach, but when the Chazan repeats the Shemona Esrei, the Chazan asks permission to pray after the first paragraph of Oleinu. Ochilo l'keo. So it means that Malchiot actually starts with the second paragraph. Now there's a difference. It's interesting to think about the difference between the description of God as king in the third blessing, and the description of God as king in Malchiot, beginning on 527. There are several interesting differences, but I'll mention one that's in particular interesting. Maybe I'll talk about this on Sunday night. We have the Rudolph lecture Sunday night. Hope to be back here. So what's interesting is that in the Malchiot that we have, starting with 527, there's only, it only mentions God. There's no mention of anybody else. God is king, period. But, 
in the Malchiot of Yochanan ben Nuri, the third the third blessing, Uvechain Tain Pachdecha, there it does not only mention God. Uvechain Tain Kavod Hashem Yamecha, Tilgariyecha, Tikvatov Ledorshecha, Pitchon Pera Miachlim Roch, Simchori Yartzecha, Sosoli Recha, Utsmichat Keren Ludavid Avdecha, Baricha Nerev and Yishai Mishichecha, Bimhera Viyamenu. So there it mentions the kingship of David, actually. It's a prayer for the restoration of David's kingship. So it's interesting that even though it talks about God as king, HaMelech HaKadosh, the, the king, the transcendent king, but in that particular formulation of it, God is the transcendent king, but there's also going to be a human king who reflects God's uh, values, who actually reflects God's kingship. That's the prayer that we have, Uvechein Tein Pachtecha. We don't have mention that in Malchiot that we have. No mention of David or anything like that. Is only a mention of God's kingship. That's an interesting distinction between between the two of them. I would say another distinction between Malchiot that we have in the middle of the Shemona Esrei and the third blessing is that in the Malchiot, which begins on 527, we are praying for God to see God's uh, glory of God's power, right? We, we talk about our, our hopes, our prayers, what we anticipate, we hope this is going to happen. Um, but it doesn't actually really focus on how it's going to happen. In other words, it's not the same in the in the third blessing, Tain Pachtacha Shemokeno Akoma Secha Imatcha Koma Shabarata. It's about God imposing it. As I mentioned last week, that Uvachain Tain Pachtra is has many allusions to the story of the splitting of the sea and God bringing us across, which of course is in the morning is what we say just before we start to pray. And there in the Song of the Sea. Tipo aleim emot of afachad. We we ask. It says that in the song of the sea, God's dread and fear should should be upon them. Means all the nations of the world. That's how we begin. Uvechein tein pachtecha Hashem ro'kenu akomas. And not only that, uvechein in the davening follows right after we say michomocha ba'al gvurot u'midomelach melch me'mitu b'chayel u'matzmiach. Who is like you? God who brings to life and God who takes life, which of course is playing off the Micha Mocha in the Song of the Sea. And in that story, God both takes life of the Egyptian army and also redeems us. Vayosha Hashem, Matzmiach Yeshua, God is the Redeemer. So there's an allusion in our third blessing to what we just said before the Shemona Esrei about Hashem Yimrochi Yoram Va'ed, but it directly connects to what comes before in the, in the text of the, of the, of the Amidah. So the, that is in the Tain Pachtecha. It's about God. But in the Malchiot that we have on page 527, what we call Malchiot, it's more of a prayer. We are, we are hoping, God, we have accepted you. We said Shema Yisrael, but we accept you. But, but, what, but the, we pray that the world should, 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 uh, should, should accept you as well. In any event, this is the blessing of Malchiot which is the central blessing of, uh, of uh, Rosh Hashanah. And actually, 
just to reflect upon this for a minute, what does this mean to say that Rosh Hashanah is about God's kingship? What 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 are the what is the ta- for us? What is the takeaway from that? That this is Melch Hakolaretz. That's the, the, the Rosh Hashanah is about God's kingship. We don't actually have on Rosh Hashanah, as I mentioned last week, Slichot. We don't have Vidui. They have none of that. There's no confessions. There's no penitential prayers. That's for Yom Kippur. But for Rosh Hashanah, it's a focus on on God. It means that Rosh Hashanah, it's about, I would say, living, living, living in God's world. We, we, we are living in God's world. And there are all kinds of implications about living in God's world. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you study, for example, Sefer Shemot, <coughs> Book of Exodus, <coughs> what is the purpose of, 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 of God taking us out of, out, of, out, of, out of Egypt? What is the stated purpose of God taking us out of Egypt? So, I'm going to bring them to Sinai. God does say that. I will bring... Right. I will bring... You shall serve God on this mountain. Whether it refers to receiving the Torah, which is possible. Whether it refers to building the Mishkan, which I think is more possible. That's how the book ends, right? The book ends with setting up... It's very... It's parallel to many of the ancient Near Eastern stories, where the God sets up a temple on some big mountain, right? Uh, and the purpose of God's subjects, or the king's subjects, is to serve God. So one way to read the book of Exodus basically is what God says pretty straight up. Shalach ha'mi Send the people out so that they may serve me. That's what God says. And in fact, <coughs> when Moshe speaks to Paro about the plagues, it's much less about saving the suffering people. It does say that God's, God sees the suffering and God is, empathizes with what's true. But when Moshe speaks to Paro, it's about something very different. The whole purpose of the plagues, in order that you know, you know that I exist, you know I exist in the land, I'm the greatest God, there's no God like me. So this is the stated purpose of the, of the Makot. There's much less about saving the people so they shouldn't suffer and all that, that is there as well. Give them freedom and, and, and allow them to live a full lives and all of that. That's also present. But a way to read the book of Exodus, certainly a valid way to read it, is to, I, um, I want to free them so they can serve me. That's a very different way to, to read the book. And that's a very different way to see the world, basically. It's not about us. Yom Kippur is about us about our spiritual growth, about our transformation. But Rosh Hashanah is, is totally different. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not actually about us. I remember many years ago, I may have mentioned this story, many, many years ago when I first started for Wexner, teaching for Wexner. So uh, I got a call from a guy from Seattle. I taught him. He liked me. pulled me up. So he says, I have a question for you. What, what's the question? Here was his question. He had just gone to the South Pacific. He had gone scuba diving in the South Pacific. And you go under the water there, he says, you see a million things you didn't know exist. He says that that bothered him, actually. I said, there are all these millions of creatures there. Nobody even knows they're existing. What is their purpose? He asked his rabbi, and the rabbi gave him, and he didn't like the answer his rabbi gave him, so he called me up. (laughs) 
So I said, let me tell you something. You know those millions of creatures? You're diving down there? They're asking the same question about you. <laughs> What's this guy? What, what is this guy here? What, what is it? You're assuming it's your world and they're invading your world. Who's, no. Maybe it's their world and you're invading their world. And that's, that's Rosh Hashanah, actually. It's not our world. We're here to serve, basically. We're put here to serve. That is the basic idea of... That's a reading of, of, uh, of, of the Chumash, and a very good one, too. And it's a completely different way to, to see the world and to see ourselves. We are here to be God's servants, whatever that means. Everybody has to figure out what that means, but it's a different way to see the world. And that's this great significance of Rosh Hashanah. It's completely counter to the way we Westerners see the world. It's all about ourselves, you know. But who says? Maybe it's not about us at all. Maybe we are just players in God's world, right? And you're here to do God's work. And the moment God doesn't need you to do God's work, sayonara, you're out. The one who learned that lesson very well was our beloved Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to go into the land. You're not going. You know why not? Your job is over. You were to bring them to the... To the you, you, have to, you taught them, you brought them to... And now someone else has to bring them into the land. Can I go in there? No. And not only that, do me a favor, don't even bother talking to me. And, and God always says that in that chapter. Otherwise, Moshe could talk forever. Moshe is speaking on behalf of Israel. You never get the sense that God is silencing Moshe. On the contrary, if you keep quiet, I may do X. Means, please speak. Please, it's an invitation. But when it comes to that story, Parshat Vayetchanan, right? He pleads with God. It's very sad. He pleads with God. That's not to be discussed because your, your, your job is finished. And that's a different way to see the world. And that's Rosh Hashanah. That's a very, I think, it's such a powerful message. Yes, my friend. The flip side of that is God creates us to serve him. In other words, he doesn't need us. If he didn't need us, mm. then there's there's some yes when he's when we are of no more purpose, be quiet and you right. know, disappear behind the rock. Right. But this is all about for some reason there was the creation of man. It's right. Well, we can, well you right. Can't, you know you can't minimize that. You don't even need the book. You don't need anything. You don't, you know, you don't need a mountain. You don't need a mishkan. You know, so I, would, I would actually would add to what you're saying. I, I don't disagree with that. I would actually add to it and say the following. That when God tells Moshe to go up to the top of the mountain and die, and then Moshe says to God, it was chapter 27 of Bamidbar, but you have to appoint somebody else. And God's answer to Moshe, I'll use my language, but that's what the Chumash says, I didn't mean that you die tomorrow. I didn't mean that. You do have another job, which is to train the next leader. And that's Moshe's job. Take Yoshua Benu and put your hands upon him, stand him up before the congregation. His job is to train Yoshua Benu, and that, that is true. So it's not that it's just it's all over. But he, he has a task still. But it's not the task that he envisions. It's not about entering the land or anything like that. It's a different task. So it is true. We are created to serve as the prophet says in several places but and and the nature of our service is different for every person but my point about Rosh Hashanah is and it's about God's kingship it's about a certain way to see ourselves and to see the world yes what do you want I just wanted to 
clarify, did I hear you correctly that when Moses speaks on behalf of Israel, God says more? Tell me, talk right, there's never a sense in the Chumash. And he's pleading for himself That's right. personally. So and God is not interested in him as a man. He's interested in him and his... Moshe's job was to... God chooses Moshe to serve. Moshe did not volunteer for the job, to put it mildly, quite the opposite. God sees in Moshe the person that God wants to, to represent God in, in God's, God's plan. Okay, Moshe has a million ex- reasons not to do it. God actually negotiates negotiation. Okay, take Aaron with you, take the staff with you. But at the end of the day, Moshe is called to serve, and he agreed. He, he says he nanny, he, he does do it. But the point is, my point is that in that story and other stories, once he's done God's bidding, then God says, okay, you, you, you were very successful, there's none like you, you did your work, and now, uh, now step aside, other people have work to do, and it's not you, because you did what I demanded that you do. It's a way to see the world to be God's servant, Eved Hashem. It is not the way that most people see the world. There are people who see the world that way. But there aren't too many of them, actually. They have a shlichus in this world. Some, some of the Chabadniks see it that way. Okay, they confuse it with the Rebbe, the Mashiach, that stuff, but forget that. But they see themselves as commanded beings, and you have it in other places as well. Some of the Christians have this thing. And some of the Jews have them. They're mostly in the Haredi world. It's not about Tikkun Olam. Forget that. It's about Eved Hashem. It's different. The Eved Hashem, that's my job. Don't thank me, because that's my job. What do you thank me for? And we're chosen not because we're the best, but because we are chosen to serve. Right, I would say that's true. Right, everybody can be chosen. It's never good to say you're the best anyway. It doesn't take any place. It takes you no place good. Everybody has a job, and the, 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 what the deep Hasidic teaching is, you can never tell the other guy what, what uh, her job is. You try to figure out what your job is, because you never know the other person. Yes, Sarge, what do you want to say? Um, you mentioned a, c- a couple of times in the prior classes and, these, and this class today about the, um, the heavenly, for, tzva, for the tzvaot, the plural of tzva, yes. and also for now with, the, with Moshe when he was acting as uh, uh, for B'nai Israel and as Aviva said, versus how he, when he was pleading for himself and God's different reaction to both. So are you you're portraying here a duality, a duality that always has tension, um, even Samuel, in what is it, chapter 8 of Samuel 1, when he's telling the people, you don't want a king, you don't want a human king. A human king's going to have armies, he's going to take your wives, he's going to take your girls, he's going to take your sons and slaves, he's going to... In other words, is there always this duality? And if yes, is it an impossible duality to straddle? No, it's not impossible. Not according... It may, Samuel thinks it's impossible. Yes. Our davening doesn't think it's impossible. Not only Rosh Hashanah, in which we talk about Smichas Kerem David Avdecha, but you have it every 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 the, the day we Shmona Esrei. It talks about God, you should reign alone, and then two three blessings later, at Semach David Avdecha The idea that a human being can in fact reflect God's values, which I would want to speak about Sunday night. That's what Chana, That's basically what Chana says. Chana prays for a king, and she believes that it is possible for the king to be someone 
who can reflect God's values. She believes that's possible. The book of Shmuel, in my view, says it is possible, but it's very rare. Because most kings will not reflect God's values at all. Even if they start off with that intention, power will, will in fact corrupt them. And most don't, don't start with that intention either. So that's the, but that's, no, but I don't think it's necessarily a contradiction, yes. So I was thinking back to the bracha that you were talking about before, where it says, Kadoshat Havina Rashme Havena Lo Pavi Baladecha, Kakatsu Vaiba Shem Tzvakot Bamishpat Vahel HaKadosh Nikdash Vitzdaka. Yes. So it's understood that those are two attributes of God, but we know that God says to Abraham in chapter 18 that right. the adaptive that I know that he's going to do Tzdaka. That's right. Part. Right. And that maybe Vaiba Shem Tzvakot Bamishpat is not that God is exalted with his own justice, but with right. the justice that we do. Um, right. Could be. That's certainly a possibility. It's not just Abraham. <coughs> it's also David, King David. Now, he falls short of the mark, but David is described in chapter um, 8 of 2 Samuel. That is the, that's also our, our in the Shemon Esrei. There you have it explicit, actually. There it talks about the king. So, is what kings do. And yes, it's true that God invited Abraham's prayer by saying, I know you care about Tzedakah or Mishpat. Which point Abraham says to God, I, I care about it. How about you? Right? There you have Tzedakah or Mishpat right there. So, certainly... That's that was that's my point actually about Hannah, one of the many points, but that we talk about God's kingship. But the Torah reading about Hannah is saying that the human being has that responsibility to reflect God's kingship in this world. It's not we leave it over to God. We're, we are responsible for for making real in this world God's God, God's values, bringing God into the world. That's that's our job. So even on the day of Rosh Hashanah, it's about God's kingship. But we have that human responsibility as well. Okay, this is the... Just wanted to say, that was what I wanted to add about Malchiot. Malchiot. And now, we have the... the second, sec, second blessing, Zichronot. So Zichronot, which means remembrances, in this Machser, um, it's on page 533. Just to refresh our memories about the way that these blessings work. The blessings consist essentially of verses. This is a very important point. The Rosh Hashanah service is essentially biblical verses. I last week hypothesized why that's true. My suggestion last week was that because it's about God, because the subject of our prayer is God, we are very reluctant to talk about God. We have a whole tradition of not saying too much about God. The Rambam was against it. The Vilna Gaon was against it. On the other side, the mystics talk endlessly with all kinds of qualifications. We, 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 can't, we can't define you. We can't define you. We can't define you. But we spend an awful lot of time trying to define you. That's the mystics. In any event, so on Rosh Hashanah, when the subject is Hashem, they will use God's own language. So the language of Rosh Hashanah and the whole prayers of Rosh Hashanah are revolving around verses, biblical verses, three from the Torah, three from the Psalms, three from the prophetic writings, 
and the 10th verse from the Torah, and that's true of Malchiot and Zichronot and Shofrot. In the third blessing, we have two verses at the end, with an allusion to a first verse, Uvechein, refers to some verse, or something, or either directly a verse, or implies a connection to a verse. Don't want to go over that again. But the Rosh Hashanah service is all about psukim, because it's about God. So we don't we don't want to talk. So we just Yom Kippur is very different. Yom Kippur is not about God. Yom Kippur is primarily about ourselves, and they have the main text, the Avoda. Talk about this tomorrow in the other place. Avoda, that's the Mishnah actually. The Avoda is Yom Kippurim. We read the Torah in the morning, but the Avoda that we say Amitzkoach Atakonanto, whatever one. That's essentially the, the, the Mishnah of the Masechet Yoma. And we started with, with Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre is the rabbinic idea you can overturn God's, even something stated in God's name. <coughs> Hetan Adarim is the ultimate Torah Shabbat Peh Halacha. So Yom Kippur starts with Torah Shabbat Peh. It's about us. It's about the human being's potential. Of course, we always need, need God's help in all things, but, but Rosh Hashanah is different. Rosh Hashanah is about... So now we, let's get to the... Let's get to the uh, Zichronot. The Nusa, the, 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 let me just say that the language of the the language of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah are extreme, the Hebrew is extraordinarily beautiful. And the Nusach of Rosh Hashanah, the standard, the classical Nusach, the way we sing it, it's also very beautiful. It's very special, actually. The, the, the plain Nusach is actually very beautiful. It's good to learn the Nusach, actually, you know, it's the truth of it. Uh, it adds a lot to the davening, tremendous amount to the davening. Okay, let us... Do you know how it goes? V'chein tein pachtach Hashem elokeinu, the Nusach. you know the Nusach? V'chein tein pachtach Hashem elokeinu, al komasecho. Tifonecho, oh, 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 this is the class standard nusach. And then you can take it all different directions. But that's the... Anyway, my father taught me the nusach for the uh, Rosh Hashanah. Beautiful nusach. And I learned from many other people. I actually have a beautiful nusach for Davin, for Rosh Hashanah, but not mine. But I learned from many pe- people. A little bit from Kalbach, but mainly from others. Anyway, so that's the nusach. Now let's get to the text, which is astonishing. Zichronos. So Zichronos is very important. Remember... Don't forget this. The day of Rosh Hashanah in our, in our davening, the name of Rosh Hashanah in our davening is Yom HaZikaron. Let's start with that. So obviously, it's called Yom HaZikaron. 
Mikadesh Yisrael v'yom hazikaron, the day of remembrance. Rosh Hashanah is the day of remembrance. It means that Zichronot has very has a standing, I would say, perhaps equal to Malchiot. It's a very central idea. Zichronot is, a, and it's also the central blessing. It's the middle blessing. There are three: Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofarot. So I did want to spend a few minutes on these on the theme of Zichronot. Atazocher maaseolam. And this is the top of page 533. So on the very first line, we encounter something very interesting. And that is, we have two different words for remembering. The first is Zocher. Ato Zocher Maseolam. Ufokeid kol Yitzure Kedem. Pokeid also can mean remember. So what's interesting, the Gemara says, now here's the thing, there are ten verses. Each of the verses requires that the word be there. In other words, the word zichronot, there were ten verses. So in each of the ten verses, you need the word zachar. That word, zachar. The Gemara says, Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, that you don't have to have the word zachar. You can have the word pokad. Pokad also works. That's what the Gemara says. But it's very interesting that all ten verses of Zichronot don't have the word Pokad, not one of them. They all have the word Zachar. <coughs> that suggests to us that there's a difference between Zachar and Pokad. And there is a difference between Zachar and Pokad. Pokad can mean to remember. Hashem Pokad at Sarak. But Pokad has several meanings. And the word Pokad functions often, not only in the positive sense. For example, the story of the golden calf. Moshe prays to God after the golden calf, and there's a civil war, and Moshe goes back to God and says, forgive them. God says, bring the people into the land. But on the day that I remember, someday I'm going to remember, and I will visit their, their punishment upon them. So, pakad, right? Pakad carries with it, often, uh, not just a sense of positive sense of memory, but a sense of, of memory which entails with it a, a positive side, but also a punishment. The word zachar typically is not that way. The word zachar, as it functions in the biblical text, is almost always positive. Pakad carries with it, right? That day God will visit, right? Upon the, even upon the heavenly host. So, Pokad, There you have it. God remembers, the punishes the children for the sins of the, of the parents. Pokad. So, on Rosh Hashanah, even though the word Pokad appears in the text of the prayer, Pokad ko because it's true. God is remembering Maseolam, the creations of God's world, but God is also pokeid. Because the Zichron, Zichron, Zichronot, the first thing you encounter in the Zichronot section of the Shemona Esrei, what the word, what the idea of God's memory means, you read it. The hidden things are known to God, 
and shechachol of nekis that God forgets nothing, nothing is hidden. Atozocheret kol hamifol. You remember all the deeds that were done, and the individual created beings are not hidden from you. Hakol goloi v'yadu. Everything is known. Sofer u'mabit ad sof koradorot. You look into the future to the end of time. Kitavi chok zikaron. You bring <coughs> you bring the memory. Lehi parked kol ruach v'nefesh. Lehi parked. I'll get to the back to the word lehi parked again. We zocher masim rabim v'amon briot liyein tachvit. So God is zocher, but God is also parked. May reshit kozot toldata. You made this known from the very beginning. Milfonim otagilita. You revealed this from the beginning of time. When did God reveal this? Zehayom tchilat masecha. This day is the day of the beginning of your, your creations. Zikaron Riyom Rishon, this day of Rosh Hashanah, recalls the first day. Kichok Yisrael Hu, a decree for Israel, Mishpat Regohei Yaakov, an ordinance of the God of Jacob, and I would say that this line is a nenu muvan. We don't understand what this means. What, what, is this, what, what are we saying here? This day is the beginning of your creation. This day today of Rosh Hashanah is a mem- remembrance of the first day. A statue for I- Israel, an ordinance for Jacob. What, it, what do we mean by that? So I'll tell you what it means. This line, which is a very important line in the davening, is based on a medrash. It's based on a medrash. The medrash says, what is Rosh Hashanah? What day? Rosh Hashanah recalls creation. Hayom harat olam. It's the beginning of Rosh Hashanah is a day of creation. Which day of creation? The sixth day of creation. The Medrash says that Adam was created on Rosh Hashanah. Adam is born on Rosh Hashanah. The world was created on the 25th day of Elul, says the Medrash, in many places. 25 of Elul is day one. Tishrei, day one of Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, that's the sixth day of creation. So on the day of this day, we say, is the beginning of your creation, means the beginning of the creation of the human being. That's one medrash. And there's another medrash. That on the day the human was created, the human sinned. Didn't happen seven months later or something like that. On the day of creation. The story of Garden of Eden with the fruit and all that, in the medrash takes place on the same day. And not only does it take place on the same day, then the medrash added something else. And on the day that Adam eats of the fruit and Eve, they are punished. On that day. So it means, this day of Rosh Hashanah, day of remembrance, where God is pokayed. God is remembering, means God is judging. And God is punishing. And this very day itself is a remembrance of the first day. It's what, it's, it's the day of judgment, Yom Adin, that we are engaged in today on Rosh Hashanah itself <coughs> recalls for us the first day of judgment. The first day of judgment was on this very day, which is the sixth day of creation. It's the day that Adam and Eve partake of that forbidden fruit, and they are judged on that day. And Kichoku Yisrael Hu, we Israel, says the text, enter willingly into the judgment. We accept it. That's how you begin. We accept the fact that the day of Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. 
we enter into it willingly. We accept it. We stand before God willingly. And this day of judgment, it continues, is not just the day of judgment for me personally. But the day of judgment is a judgment, a twofold judgment, as it continues. Concerning nations, it is said. Which nations will have peace, which nations will have war. Famine. Uh, plenty of food. So that's true of the nations. And not only that, individual created beings are judged. They are recalled for life or for death. Who is not nifkad? Who is that held accountable? See, the word to count, right? With cold, right? means to count also. It means to remember. And it means to uh, it means to remember, it means to count, and it means to to uh, to give someone a tafkid is a task. So it means to hold somebody accountable. It means to count. Of course to count, right? To count, to hold accountable and to remember. In English we say to uh, recount. So they have the counting in all three terms. To recount means to remember, to hold accountable for failure to do the task, and of course to count. So that's the that's the entry. So we met. So the word pakad, in other words, not just individual people are judged. Nation, the world is judged because after all, since we are remembering the first day of creation, who was judged on the first day of creation? It was the individual person, Adam, but he's also the world. Adam is both the individual person, but Adam is humanity. So therefore, this day of creation, which recalls the first day of creation, is a twofold judgment. In recalling Adam, who is the human. The human is judged. Not the Jew, the human. Everybody. But also Adam was a person. And Eve is a person. So the, there's a twofold... When you're, it's so obvious, isn't it? That's what we're saying on Rosh Hashanah. This, this is what the text says. So the, so the word zichronot, when you first encounter the word zichronot, it means judgment. Yom HaZikaron means the day of judgment. Yom Adin. And that's what's described over here. Ki zecher koha ba, just to continue, ma pekudato valilot mitzadei gaver. God is recalling Yitzur, the created beings, a person's deeds, what does pekudato mean? His assignment. His assignment. In other words, I'm judged for two things. You look at the scorecard, did good, did bad, that, that's one thing. But then there's another judgment. This fellow's job, is he, is, is he doing his job or not doing his job? Forget the details of it. The task I assigned him in this world. Is this person doing the task or not? But how do we know which assignment we have? Oh, that's a wonderful question. You've asked the, you've asked the right question. You've asked the right question. Now, let me tell you. That is an excellent question and a very important question. And I'm glad you're asking the question. It's never too late to ask that question. That's a very important question. I'll tell you a story. That is a central question, okay? There's a guy in Alon Schwartz, when I was there for a year or two, 
Alon Shvot, in the Gush, in Israel. His name is Don. Very interesting guy. He was a learned in the yeshiva there for many years. And then he, um, and then he became a brasil of a chassid. The interesting guy. He was for a while a mashkiach in the yeshiva. It was actually Mal, he was the mashkiach of Mal Gilboa for a few years. At the same time, he taught second grade. Those were the two jobs he had. Taught second grade, mashkiach. Left, left the yeshiva. So I met him. I used to sit next to him in davening. And this guy actually davened. Real davening. And I said to him, how are you doing? Very frank. I said, how are you doing? What are you doing? I think I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something new. I said, how will you determine what to do? God will tell me, he says. Let me ask you a question. When God speaks to you, will you are you sure you're going to hear? He says, I think I will hear. Now let me say, this is something, there's, what's the name of that woman? I think her name is Lerman. She wrote the book called Of Two Minds. Are you familiar with the book Of Two Minds? Okay. That's a book that's worthwhile reading. That's a very important book, Of Two Minds. She's very, I tried to get her to come to Jerisha one time. She's very interesting. Of Two Minds is about the practice of psychology and psychiatry in the United States. And why it can't work, actually. Of, to, work. of the, this practice cannot work. That's her argument. And the reason it can't work, she claims, is because there are two different ways to, that, that psychiatry works. One is to give medicine. Med, the, med, the, the approach of giving medicine. The other is therapy, to talk it through. She claims you need both. Yeah. Totally agree. But her point is that the system is set up in such a way that it can't work. If, if you go to a hospital, someone has a psychiatric problem, goes to a hospital, you can always stay in the hospital, unless you have Medicaid, you can always stay there about a week. If you try to stay more than a week, the insurance company is trying to throw you out. Then you've got to go to court. There's a special court. And you can fight, try to fight them. You get another week. The medicines, even if, assuming the medicines are good, they take usually a month or two to kick in. So actually, it can't possibly work. Understand? This is the point. That's the point of two minds. So she wrote this book, which was a big thing, and it's very worthwhile reading it. Of two minds. Mm-hmm. Now, she wrote something else as well. She wrote a book which I have not read. She went to. She's interested in very interesting person. So she wrote the book about about devout Christians, and about Christians who think that God is speaking to them, which many of the medical community thinks it must be schizophrenic or something, hearing voices. It's not, that's not her approach. And she wants to understand this about people who feel that God is telling them what to do. How do we understand this? Or what do we make of this? I could tell you what. When God talks back. Is that the name of the book? When so. God talks back. Okay. Very interesting person. I actually tried to bring it to Drisha a few years ago with for now. But the point is, um, very just very interesting stuff. The fact of the matter is, you have this among my wife, who very interested in these things, and she, she met this couple. Um, she was down in Konania, that's a long story, but she went down south to this interesting place, and she met this couple. They were two academics, actually. Is it Israel or... No, no, Georgia, United States, southern United States. They are both academics. They were about to, very devout Christians, and they were about to go to Germany. They had received some kind of uh, academic post in Germany. And she said to them, when are you leaving to Germany? We're not going. Why not? 
because God tells us to go elsewhere. Where did God instruct these two academics to go? And they're probably still there. There's a church in Washington, D.C., which has a place for crack addicts. That's where they are. That's what God told them to do. They heard this voice, and that's where they went. Right there. That's where they went. That's what I talked about before being Eved Hashem. You don't make the choices. You've got to figure out what God wants you to do. So that is, how do you know? That's the $64,000 question, you know? Some people feel they do know what their mission is, but it's not a simple matter to figure out what is my calling. But everybody has the assumption of, in the radical Hasidus, and the radical Christianity, I would add, they're very similar. You, you have a calling. And you've got to figure out what that is. And the calling doesn't have to be a Rosh Hashiva either. You can do good in a hundred different ways. Everybody can do good. My father started, essentially, the main person who helped me start Jerisha Isu was my, Harry J. Silver, my father. His yard site was yesterday. He was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. But he is responsible, largely, for all the learning that's taken place at Jerisha so far, and hope a lot more will still take place. Tens of thousands of people. The lawyer. So you can do good in a hundred different ways. And, but that's the point. A person's deeds and a person's mission. That's a tafkid is a mission. An assignment, as you say. And we are judged by the question, are we doing our assignment or not? And make a long story short, the beginning of Zichronot on Rosh Hashanah is a very scary prayer. Because... Not only are we called to task for all these things, but the judge knows everything. You can't fool the judge here. God knows our, what we do, our assignment, machshavot adam, our inner thoughts, tachbuotov, our machinations, our rationalizations, v'yitzrei ish, our drives and desires. It is a hopeless, basically, when you stop, if you stop here in the davening, who, who of us are, can, is found innocent? It's not possible. So that's how we start. That's Zichronot, means Yom Adin, God remembers. And now there's a turning point in the davening, in Zichronot. Ashrei Isheloi Yishkocheka. Happy is the one who does not forget God. It's the top of page 535. Happy is the person who takes courage in you. Kidorshecha Riolam Royikoshelu. For those who seek God, Dorshecha will not stumble. Those who have faith will not forever be embarrassed, shamed. Because the remembrance of all deeds come before you. And you are seeking out. Now what does Doresh mean? Drisha. What does Drisha actually mean? So in the davening it has two meanings. Drisha v'chakira means careful study. You haven't saved Dvarim with Rosh Vulachkar. God is Doresh. God looks carefully. God's the judge. The judge looks carefully. But Doresh has another meaning. Dorshecha loyi koshegu. What is Dorshecha loyi koshegu? Those who seek you out will not stumble. Viatod Doresh vasekulam. And suddenly there's a glimmer of hope. Because if God just renders the objective judgment, no one can escape the judgment, obviously. But. God is not an impartial judge in a certain sense. Those who are Doresh God, who seek God, God seeks them as well. Doresh Ba Sekulam. And now we have an example of that. 
the example of the person that God treats differently from everybody else. I'm not saying he's a perfect human being, but God is, seeks him out. There is no perfect human being. And suddenly, this person stands on the stage of Rosh Hashanah in our davening. Begames Noach biyavo zacharta. So Noach was, we told Noach was in each tzaddik, tamim b'torotav, in his generations he was good, maybe in other generations he's not so wonderful, who knows. But Noach is different. And now we have verses that describe the fact, even though you determined to destroy the whole world, they were a wicked world, but Noah was singled out. And now we start with the verses from the Torah. Because the first three verses come from the Torah. And the first verse is the verse about Noah. By Yizkar Elohim et Noah. It's the verse that describes God remembering Noah and that God stilled the waters and that God brought the ruach, the wind or the spirit over the earth, the recreation of the world actually is what you have with Noah. The world is recreated. So it's true that no one can is vindicated before God, but there are some people at least who have hope because they're Doshecha. Who, those who don't forget God, so God doesn't forget them either. So we have some hope over here in the service. We have Adam and then Noah. Yes? Does that imply that the answer to that gentleman's question, which is, as you said, the ultimate question, if you Dorish, even if you're wrong, then you get well, certainly you get credit. Look, I'm not God's scorekeeper. I don't really know. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I have no idea. How do you know if you're wrong? That's also well, that's what I'm saying. So How do you know? So if you are, right. if it is your mission to do your mission, yeah. even if you get the mission wrong, even if you, whatever you're doing, if you genuinely See, are Doresh, no, there's problems with that because people can interpret Doresh in a very negative or very destructive way. Sure. I mean, it, it justifies almost anything if you say, I'm a Doratia. Right. Excuse my Hebrew. Um, That's true. How do we know is the very good question. And I don't think there's a... I mean, the question that, you know, actually, can, can you know, in fact? And I remember speaking to somebody, not a young person, who said to me, you know, I did this, I did this, I did this, and, did this, and now I realize in my life how these things actually have come together for me. And I realized that many years later, that all these different things that happened, and the different things I took an interest in, I brought them together, and I was able to do the work that I do now. And I think this is right. I think that I realized, in, in looking at my life, I figured out that this actually is what I was called to do. So I think the point of the book, which I did not read, is can you actually come to an understanding uh, a belief that you really know what your mission in this world is. And I, again, I think that's the big question, but I think Masayishu Pkudato, this is something that in, I say in the Hasidus that I, by the way, Rabbi Salveshik speaks about this also, he, he doesn't talk about it as, and he takes it from the Hasidic world, but he talks about this as well. I don't think he made it a central piece of his world outlook, uh, but he does talk about this, of having a mission in, in, this, in this world. But in some of the Hasidic uh, writings, it's essential. It's, it's, yes? 
isn't there another way we can look at this? Rather than we go to synagogue and we say, you know, we serve God, that we know and or some voice will tell us that it's making a commitment to live a life of asking the question. And that there are people who know that when they're 10 years old, they know they're going to be a doctor or a dancer or whatever. But most of us don't. Right. And But if you ask the question and you really focus on the question and pay attention to the question, right. that, that's the best we can Right. You may. You, you may. By the way, you may have. You may have had a mission when you're 20 years old, and maybe you have a different mission when you're 40 years old. Right. Doesn't mean there's one mission, right. but it does mean you're asking the question: What is my place? What is my? It's a different. Part of it is what are my abilities? So it starts with basically. I presume that part of it in determining is where where do I feel that I can do work that no one else can do. What are my particular abilities? There's a lot of things that go into it. What, what is the kind of opportunity that we have now to do something? There are all kinds of questions like that. It doesn't mean we always have certainty, but I think the, the asking the question is certainly the first step. Who am I, and what are my abilities, and what can I do, and what, what am I called to do? I think that's... But if a component of the question is, what is my mission to serve God? So let's say my mission is to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25 which there are people that that's their mission and they achieve it. Right. But if my mission is to serve God, maybe being a millionaire by the time I'm 25 isn't quite going to do that. So what can I do with my That's what you do with the millions, I think. What? Well, hang on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Rabbi Silver, it's right. you're, going, you're jumping the gun. Because the question is, is, how am I going to make that million? How am I going to be able to help others enough so that uh, ultimately God will reward me? doesn't have to be what am I going to do with the millions. That's the classic uh, liberal, you know, uh, um, uh, propaganda. Just uh, yeah, against against wealth. Wealth is a great thing. The question is, how are? What's the mission that you're going to use to get to that wealth? That's the calling. To get to it. No, I don't think that's. I don't actually agree with that. That's part of it. The way you do. I do. I do think that the way you do something is very important. I do believe that, but I also think. What you're called to do is, as a separate matter is also important. What, what is my mission? Now, a lot, of, a lot of things go into it. A lot of, a lot of, I think a lot of, it requires a lot of very serious introspection and maybe talking to people and trying to figure out because we all, as we all know, uh, have our own drives, desires, and it's very hard to get to the truth. It's very hard to see the truth about ourselves. So how you get to this, how do you put yourself in a place where you can actually hear if there is a voice talking to you. How do you hear that voice? That's a very important question. But in any event, yes, Sandra. Is there a difference between Zachor and Lotishkach? Certainly they're two different words, what right? What I mean is, um, in the davening, um, there's the affirmative of Zachor, 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 God remembers, remembers, and then there are little litanies of he doesn't forget this, he doesn't forget that. But then when you say right. the human, the human is addressed very often in the don't forget this, lo right. tishkach, lo tishkach. That's true. I'm wondering if when in the construction of the davening and the careful choice of words, is the zachor word saved for godliness? 
I'm, I'm st obviously I'm stuck a little, not in a bad way, but I'm I'm focusing on this the uh, the duality between the, the the heavenly host and the and the earthly host, the the godness and the manness. So the, is the word different to, too? It's certainly different. It appears at the end of the blessing. We talk about God not forgetting and remembering. We'll get to that in a, in a minute. First of all, what, what time? I have no idea what time it is, actually. Twenty after thirteen minutes. Oh, we have to. Okay, let me, let me get to the. Let me get to the next point then. The first theme is judgment. The person who represents judgment is Adam, Adam, first human being. And then you move to another theme, and that's the second stage of creation, which is Noah. Noah is so. You have Adam and you have Noah. Those two, and now we come to the really what is the heart and soul of the third blessing, which and the way the blessing ends. Baruch Ata Hashem Zocher Habrit, God who remembers the covenant, and we come to what is the keep of the third. Because actually, Noah is not so useful to us. I mean, I'll speak for myself. If you're a tzaddik, maybe Noach's a good model. You know, Noach is a tzaddik, it says. Tzaddik, tamim b'dorotav. But what about for those that are not such tzaddikim and tamimim and yesharim? How do we escape this judgment on Rosh Hashanah? Because it seems pretty difficult to escape it before the all-knowing judge. So here we introduce what is the primary theme of the third, of the Zichronot blessing, which is the idea of, of, of brit, of covenant. And the, pers the person's who represent the covenant in the text of the prayer, the first persons who represent the covenant are uh, in the next Vinamar, and it says in the middle of 535, by God heard the cries of Israel in Egypt, by Yishkar Elohim at Brito, at Abraham at Yitzchak v'yet Yaakov. So God remembered God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even in the Noah verse, it says that God remembered Noah to multiply his descendants over the face of the earth. So the descendants exist by virtue of Noah. In the case of, 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 uh, of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there we specifically use the word covenant. And then in the next verse also, over and over the word to remember, in the context of the covenant. So we, we are relying upon this idea of covenant, that we are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The question is what that actually means. Does it mean we're not so good ourselves, but in merit of the good deeds of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you should spare us, you know, give us a reprieve, because my great-great-great-great-grandfather was a tzaddik. You know, that's one way to read it, certainly. I would prefer a little different reading than that because it doesn't seem very... I mean, we're, we're pretty desperate in this prayer, so we grasping at straws, but I presume that it means something else, which is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were... Uh, you, cre you created a covenant with them, but that we see ourselves, and this is, I think, a very important point, we see ourselves as at least trying to walk the path of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not just, I have my life, and they have theirs, and they were wonderful, and you promised them. So whatever I may be, you should let me escape this judgment, but rather, that we see ourselves on Rosh Hashanah as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see ourselves as connected to the way they live their lives, values, etc. So in that sense, since we see ourselves as part of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
And actually, our prayers are that way. So we um, we are asking God to spare us in light of the fact that we are seeing ourselves as related to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. This is, anyway, this is a very central feature. The word Brit appears in the f- two of the three Torah verses, and it appears also in the next set of verses, which are somewhat problematic, but, I, but in two of those, the first two verses, we again have the word Brit. In the, in the verses, two of the three of them have the word Brit, the second and the third. On the top of 537, the verses from the Psalms. And then we are, the next three verses are from the, the prophets. It's Torah, Ketuvim, and Nevi'im. Ayudei avodecha Nevi'im katuv mar. And here there's a difference, I think, between what we said above and what we say in the verses from the prophets. Because in the verses from the prophets, it doesn't speak about a relationship that existed with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not what is being referred to over here. What's being referred to over here is a relationship that existed with us at some earlier point in, our, in time, maybe in our own lives or in the lives of our ancestors, but it's put in terms of ourselves, in all three verses. In the first two verses, in the verse from Yermio, I remember, says God, the kindnesses of your youth when you followed me into the desert. It refers to Israel going into the desert, an act of faith. And the next verse also, God, I remember the covenant I made with you in your youth. That's from Yechezkel. I will establish an eternal covenant. That's about us. It doesn't mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The third verse, one of the highlights of the davening, the verse from Jeremiah and also the Haftorah reading for the second day, Haben Yakili Ephraim, Imyele isn't Ephraim for my, my child, my beloved child, Kimidei Dabribo, as even when I speak, I either speak of him or speak or, or criticize him. Often in biblical here means to criticize. Even when I speak negatively, nonetheless, Zacharias Karenu, I remember him. So in the three verses from the prophets, it speaks about Israel as a collective body. And what's interesting is the first two verses, God is remembering the way we were in our, in our youth. Not the way we are today, maybe the way we were when we were 15 years old, or who knows, you know? So God looks back, you know, there was an innocence of youth. They were different than they were 15. The last verse, forget the youth. God remembers us that we're 15 years old, we're 15 months old. Right? Right? Haben yakim yeled shashuim. A yeled, not a nar. A yeled, a baby, right? Kibide, the innocence of the child. Zochares kerenuo, rachem arachamenu, even rachem, maybe playing the word rachem, even I remember him before he was born. And this verse, of course, is from the Haftorah. Rachem avaka abode, Rachel cries for her children. So in this section of the service, we are not even talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We want God to see us, see the, the innocence, of, see us from in a different way. To look at us in a different way, which is a very powerful idea. Not to see even the way we are today, 
to see the way we once were, with the potential maybe we'll be, return to that, to look at a different piece of ourselves, a piece that has not been sullied over time. There's an innocence to everybody, or virtually everybody, and and uh, we ask God to see us in that way. And that's the three verses. So there's three from the Torah, three from the Psalms, three from the Prophets, and then we have the tenth verse from the Torah. The tenth verse is embedded in a in a request. The way these sections work, there's a statement. At the end of the statement is a request. And in Zichrono, the request is embedded inside. The, the request has within it the tenth verse. The tenth verse, which is found on 539, is I will recall for them the covenant of, 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 of the earlier times when I took them out of Egypt to be their God. And in this section, in this end of Zichronot, in this petition that we make, here we single out one particular event, which is very striking. It, we, remember, the judgment was Adam, and God's uh, providence, or God's in looking for the individual, that was Noah. There's Adam, and there's Noah. And now we come to the end of the blessing, and we are recalling Abraham. And not just Abraham in general. But the event we recall in the service is the binding of Isaac. It's very striking, actually. This is the end of the central section of Rosh Hashanah about judgment, and we ask God to remember in particular the binding of Isaac. The binding of Isaac is recalled. We say, we ask God to remember the binding of Isaac when Isaac bound his son. Abraham. Uh, Abraham bound his son and, 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 and Isaac, and he overcame his basic quality, which was to be, to be merciful, but to do your will, he overcame his basic quality. So we say, God, you should over, over, overturn your basic quality. God's basic quality is, uh, is truth. God's seal is truth. That's God's basic nature, is truth. But we ask God that the mercy should, should overwhelm the truth. And you should... Uh, Stay your hand from us and our inheritance, all that we are, and fulfill the promise of recalling the earlier uh, covenant. And then we end, come back to Sandra's point, <coughs> You are remembering all the forgotten things. That's how you start the blessing. The blessing begins, the Chronot begins by saying, God remembers everything. And our response to God, our response is, oy vey, you know what I mean? Remembers everything. The things that we want to forget, God hasn't forgotten. That's how you start. So the fact that God remembers everything in the beginning of this section of, when you first read Sichronos, judgment, that doesn't bode very well for us. But you remember everything. There is nothing forgotten. So if you remember everything, remember one particular thing. Remember the binding of Isaac, Baruch Ato Hashem, Zocher Habrit. Blessed are you, O Lord, who remembers the covenant. So what's very interesting here, it's a point that I've made many times, it's, a, I think, extremely interesting, that when you think about this blessing of Rosh Hashanah, you realize that what it's founded upon are three people. There's Adam, there's Noah, and there's Abraham. And the point here is that we always re- think of Abraham as the beginning. His name is Avram, exalted father. He's the first. 
but the fact of the and that's true. But the fact of the matter is, he is the first, but he's also the last, because the ten generations, as we say in Pirkei Avot, from Adam to Noah, and the ten generations from Noah to Abraham, and the point of that is not just to count the generations, but the point is that think of Abraham as the completion of all creation. Rosh Hashanah is the day of creation. Hayom harat olam, tchilat ma'asecha. But the creation story doesn't end in the first chapter of Genesis. It doesn't even end in the third chapter of Genesis. It continues. Because the story of creation is about the Garden of Eden and the banishment. So Eden you can never go back to. Gan Eden is... So what about Gan Eden? What happened to the... What happened to the world that God created in the first three chapters of, 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 of Genesis? What's with that world? So the world of chapter 1 is recreated in the Chumash through Noah. Noah is the recreated world. All the language of Noah, it's a recreated world. So Noah recreates the world of Genesis chapter 1. But who recreates the world of Genesis chapter 2 and 3? Who creates, recreates the story of the Garden of Eden? And to that... The answer is, you can't actually recreate Eden. You can never go back to Eden. Forget that. Because Eden is not a place for us. Having partaken of the fruit, having knowledge, you can't go back to Eden. But you can discover a kind of alternative to Eden. And the one who discovers the alternative to Eden, that is, the sacred space for we who have knowledge, that's the story of Abraham. And the ultimate discovery of the sacred space, the ultimate alternative to Eden is in chapter 22 of Genesis that's the story of the binding of Isaac, Hashem Yireh, in fact not only is that true and it's very true but on top of that on top of that you have even the same language, we're thrown out of the Garden of Eden because God says God says the human being has become like one of us to know good from evil and now lest he stretch out his hand and take the tree of life and live forever. And we don't want the human being to be, to be divine. So therefore we're banished from Eden. When it comes to the binding of Isaac, which is about the human being acceding to God's will, and then that great moment when the angel calls down from heaven, do not harm this child. is the moment when Abraham looks up, he sees the ram, he brings the ram at this place, and this, this is the sacred place, Hashem Yireh, which today is known as the place in which God is seen. So therefore, the binding of Isaac, actually, that story of discovery of the holy place, is in the Chumash, the alternative to Eden, and this, this blessing is based on three people, basically. There's judgment, there's providence, there's covenant. Abra- Adam, Noah, and Abraham, and it's it's, it's, it's set up in such a way that it recalls for us and emphasizes that Rosh Hashanah is the day of creation. Hayom harat olam. But the, the world in which we live, the creation story, plays out over the first 22 chapters, ending with the binding of Isaac. So this, this event, the world, is, the world is created, essentially. This world in which we live is the world of Noah, yes, but certainly the world of Abraham, this is the world in which we live, and we ask God to remember that formative event of our world, which is the binding, binding of ISIS. So we'll stop at this point.
Wish everybody a meaningful Rosh Hashanah. Thank you. And, uh, okay, so we will, this Sunday night we have the Rudolph lecture. Was it 7 or 7.30? 7.15. The topic is the prayers, the pra- the prayers of Hannah. Um, should be very interesting. And, uh, okay, very good.